welcome to The Scott Pod, a podcast celebrating the life, work, art and music of Scott Hutchison, lead singer of Frightened Rabbit, Al John, Master System and so much more besides. On each episode of The Scott Pod, we discuss with a special guest what they've done to commemorate the life of Scott Hutchison. On this episode of The Scott Pod, we're talking to Andy McVeigh, better known as the Burley Banksy, a painter and street artist from Leeds in the United Kingdom whose growing catalogue of work can be seen across the city of Leeds and includes a number of tribute pieces to Scott Hutchison, including some of Frightened Rabbit's most famous artwork. Andy was motivated to pay tribute to Scott in light of a friendship that grew between them. He'll explain more about that in a moment. But first, a couple of trigger warnings for this episode. This episode contains discussions of Scott's death, discussions about mental health more generally, along with the death of Andy's baby niece. And whilst the subjects are heavy, Andy's infectious spirit and love of all things Scott drag us through. Proceed with those warnings in mind. Hi, I'm Andy McVeigh, aka Burley Banksy. I've accidentally become a street artist. And I'm on the podcast, I guess, because I'm a massive Frightened Rabbit fan, was for a very long time. And I was fortunate enough to become pals with Scott and my art and his music and other events all came together in lots of different ways that I'll probably go into later on. I'm very pleased to be able to talk about a brilliant, brilliant bloke. When I first got in touch, I was unaware that you had a personal relationship with Scott. Why don't you tell us a bit about that? So I suppose I should tell you the story for me, if you like, was my little niece died, bless her. She was only 11 months old, my sister's little girl. And while she was alive, for whatever reason, you know, sometimes babies connect with structure of notes or whatever it is. And whenever our kids, my sister played old fashioned, because she loved Frightened Rabbit as well, Grace would suddenly go, oh, oh, and, it, and smile and smile. And Grace couldn't move very much. That was her condition that killed her in the end. But suddenly she'd look up and her neck would move and her eyes would like sparkle and stuff with this, whatever those opening chords of old fashioned. So we'd got tickets to see Frightened Rabbit just after Grace had died at Leeds Stylus. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be tough for our kid, this. And if they play old fashioned, you know, is this going to absolutely floor her and her, and her boyfriend? So I got in touch with Scott. I think I DM'd him, I can't remember, on Twitter. And just said, look, you know, this is a situation I don't suppose, you know, when you do old-fashioned, you could just say, this is for Claire and Rob, and this is for little Grace. And and he got back to me. You know, I never thought he would. And he went, yeah, we'll do that, man. We'll do it. And so, you know, we went to the gig, and I didn't tell my sister. I didn't tell Rob, a fella. And so when they got to – I saw him getting his acoustic out, and I thought, this is it, this is it. And then it wasn't. And then he got – but then he just – you know, it was very simple. And I've got a video. He just said, you know, a Claire and Robin in the house. And they were like, what? What? What the hell? Why, why, is, why is Scott talking to us? And he said, well – your brother's been in touch and we just wanted to dedicate this song to your lovely little daughter, Grace. And it turned what could have been a horribly unhappy moment into something beautiful. And, and my sister and Rob went down the front and had a bit of a mosh, you know, as much as you can mosh to old-fashioned. And we had a little chat with him after just to say thanks and stuff. And it was just, just a lovely little thing to do. And then me and Scott started messaging a lot and texting each other a lot and stuff and became quite good pals. So it all, it all came from, from that song. And him doing something nice isn't that amazing as well that this is i think episode five or six that i've recorded and i think not dissimilar stories from 
two or three other people that I've talked to where they've reached out over the internet and for whatever reason, uh, nothing quite as poignant as that, because that is truly, truly something. Bless your poor sister and yourself yeah, yeah. and family and boyfriend as well to have gone through that. But that Scott always recognised when people were hurting, obviously had that within him just to empathise to that level of, well, of course I'd do something. Of course, I'd, why wouldn't I dedicate a song? Why yeah. wouldn't I help them out? Because I know the pain they're feeling. At the start of this, I thought, wow, I've heard a couple of people say it, but it won't be a universal thing that honestly, almost everyone I speak to, when they've reached out to him for any help whatsoever, he's jumped at the chance to help, clearly because that's who he was as a person. You know, yeah. there's no act, there's no pretense, there's no ulterior motive of him wanting to do it for any other reason than just... When we went backstage afterwards, my sister said, thank you so much. And he just went, I'm so sorry you've had to go through that. And you know, he didn't know her, never met her before, but the way he spoke to her was, was so genuine and, you know, empathetic with somebody he'd never met. And he had to, so sorry your family had to go through that. And all. it was just lovely. And then, we, like I said, we, we became sort of pals and stuff and be chatting about stuff. And I think our first Christmas without Grace, you know, I got a message on Christmas Eve just saying, oh, your sister's all right tomorrow, mate. Oh, you're all, you know, you get through the day all right. You know, that was just little things like that would happen. And then we'd sort of message most weeks, really, and talk about all sorts of nonsense. But there was always that thread of, is your sister all right? Is, is your kid all right? And and it was just, yeah, genuine concern. And I think he realised that I was genuine. I wasn't just some lunatic fan, I don't know, making this up or wanting attention off him or whatever. So I once did a gig at Leeds United pre-match, Ellen Road, in this like hospitality pavilion thing. There was like 3,000 people there, which, you know, I've only done one or two gigs like that in my life. And I just messaged him for the gig with a picture and I just went, Shit, Scott, there's 3,000 people in. What do you do? I'm normally used to playing pubs you know, since we started this covers band. We used to play pubs and weddings and, and I'm shit. And he said to me, said, watch out for them Leeds fans, man. I know what they're like. Don't let don't let them see the fear in your eyes. Just look at your symbols. Don't look up from your snare drum and you'll be right. And that was quite sweet. And little stuff like that. I can absolutely empathise. I played Glastonbury one year. On a- Did you? Like just a random stage, you know, one of the ones that's out in one of the fields. But it was like a yeah. like a Thursday night and they're supposed to be like proper bands opening. So I think 80s Matchbox Beeline Disaster were headlining the same stage that night. I remember them, yeah, yeah. And it was about 11 o'clock at night and they were on about one. And the compare just comes on. And we were there to see 80s Matchbox. And he said, it was like a year of really bad floods. And he was like, the next three bands that we had booked have all had to pull out. They've all been trapped you know wherever they were trying to drive from does anyone want to just jump up and play some songs and at the time I was I want to say kind of indie folk Willie Mason Bright Eyes-esque I didn't even volunteer my mates just went hey this guy's just put a record out get him to play some songs (laughs) I'd maybe played one or two gigs I was still at that stage of just you know put your stuff out there but don't actually go and commit to playing it and oh my god yeah the terror and that, <laughs> now every time I play a gig, I'm just like, no matter how bad it goes or no matter how you feel, you're not going to be stepping on a stage in front of thousands of people, hunt, you know, a lot of people. No, no idea how many people were there. And having not prepared and not, you know, it's like, a, yeah, you know, yeah. if I'd been naked, that would have been the actual, the full nightmare complete, wouldn't it? Yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah, I was literally just about to say that. It's like one of those horrible nightmares where you're exposed and you've only, you were running around with your pants in front of all these people and all that kind of stuff. Emotionally exposed, for sure. 
<laughs> however many songs I played. I think it was only four or something in the end. Got off as quick as I could. And to, to be fair, the crowd all seemed to really appreciate just anyone playing. And but I did note that he'd, he'd asked for a couple of volunteers to you know fill the time before the the main bands were supposed to be. Yeah. And I noticed that no one volunteered straight away after I played. So either that was a <laughs> oh that looks terrifying or. Oh, you were so good. They, you know, you, they don't, you know, they don't come on afterwards. Way too kind of you to say without hearing. <laughs> Follow that incident. How did you first discover Scott's music or Scott's art? I can still remember it. It's weird how you remember these things that are really important in your life. I was sat in my mate Howard's living room and he said, he, we were having a cup of tea or something and there was some music on in the background. And I distinctly remember, it's weird, isn't it? The backing vocals in a song on Midnight Organ Fight. I've always got, I'm a bit of a sucker for backing vocals, but whoa, whoa, whoa's and ah, uh, ah, uh, and all that kind of thing. I think they really bring stuff to music. And I said, who's this? I really like them backing vocals. They're really melodic. And he went, oh, it's my mate Dom. He's really into this band, Frightened Rabbit or something. I went, all oh, right, I, I just, I like this. It's all right, isn't it? And we carried on with our conversation. And then, of course, you know, you get home and you think, I must check that band out. And then that was it. Just became slightly obsessed with the Midnight Organ fight, really, as, as, as I suppose a lot of people did with the quality of the melodies, because I'm all about melody, me. But start to hear these little amazing lines coming out don't you and you think what was what was what she just said there what does that mean and does that mean that and that that's a clever way of saying that isn't it and you start to think hang on there's something special going on here there's something out of the ordinary this isn't just a jangly indie band that there's been a million of before you've got a few good melodies there was something different about it and i just carried on from there really becoming more and more into it and then of course went to see them and you know the rest is history, as they say, and then you, you suck it into a life of being a frightened rabbit from forever. You are indeed. I spotted a couple of things that suggest to me that you're probably quite musical, one of which being a bit of a bio, mentioning that you might be a drummer. Yes. Another that you customise guitars, at least to spray them with, uh, with some sick artwork. <laughs> yeah, I've been in bands all my life since I was 14 or something like that, always trying to, you know, I'm basically a failed rock star. I've been in, you know, I've been, I don't know how many bands I've been in. I still play in a covers band now. I'm too old to try, you know, make it as a rock star now. But we, you know, I've been in bands that were really good, you know, some that weren't so good and some that had record companies sniffing around. And I was in a band called Dirty Vinyls and Alan McGee was going to manage us at one point. And that was, that was, you know, we thought this is it. We've finally done it. And we had some cracking tunes. And yeah, Alan McGee's great. And he discovered Oasis, didn't he? And he actually said, you're the best fucking guitar band I've seen since those Gallagher bastards or something he said as a sidetrack did you guys do some recording in a studio in leeds just off the canal i can't remember the name of it but my cousin will be screaming at me because oh, there's, there's one in there's one in wakefield it's down called the riverside it um, might, might be that might one. be that one i think yeah i think we did record down and we used to rehearse down there lots of People like the Charlatans and even the Stone Roses, um, Seahorses rehearsed down there because it was really out of the way and nobody 
sort of knew it existed. So famous bands were quite happy to, you know, sort of go in their incognito. But yeah, so I've been a drummer all my life and I can't not play. I get, you know, weird if I don't play. And now I just do covers and people actually pay you to play. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> you murder somebody else's songs and they go, he's 100 quid each, lads. And you're like, all oh, right, okay. We used to have to pay to play London. Yeah, so I've been obsessed with music all my life. You can see my Stone Roses homage behind my head here. I've always been into record sleeves and everything, really. But mainly, mainly an indie bloke. I dabble with bits of funk and soul and stuff. But I always come back to the guitar, I think, really. So Frightened Rabbit were a perfect band waiting for me, I think. And obviously, you've already mentioned Midnight Organ Fight. I take it that's favourite Frightened Rabbit album. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, they're all great, aren't they? Winter of Mixed Drinks is great. It's got some corking tunes on it. There's some great B-sides lying about, you know, unexpectedly that Scott just throws away, threw away. I like them all. They're all great albums, but I think for consistency of quality and and just sort of discovering the album as the first one, you always come back to Midnight Organ Fight, I think, and Head Rolls Off is in my, you know, if I ever ended up on Desert Island Discs, Head Rolls Off would be one of my tunes on there. It's one of the ones that we had the pleasure of covering when we did some tribute nights and immensely fun to play. Weirdly, the last tribute night that we did was over in Leeds. Really? So should have known you then, shouldn't I? I could invite yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Our drummer loved learning to play, all, especially the Master System stuff, nice heavy stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's, so, he's, he's a really fantastic, he's a really interesting drummer, is Grant. The rhythms on, well, all of their albums are really odd aren't they they're quite quirky and interesting way to play stuff and that sort of comes i suppose from scott's songs as well but i think he's a really creative bloke is grant and he's one of those unsung indie heroes especially when it comes to drums anyway i'm absolutely with you you've mentioned head rolls off is that the favorite favorite frightened rabbit song or is there a kind of a little a mini list that you always hang on to there is number one in the list there is a list of oh, you know you could come up with i love things i love skip the youth i love old-fashioned modern lepers obviously you know it's almost sort of cliche to say that isn't it but that's that's just i love the way he describes depression as a modern leprosy. I mean, that's just so... It took me ages. I must have listened to that song 20 times before I really sort of sussed out what he was saying. But to say that your limbs are falling off, you know, and to link that with mental health, and it was just such great imagery and metaphors and all that, wasn't it? And it, I just thought that was an incredible way to, to talk about that, really. I think in the top five would be good arms versus bad arms. The melody is so beautiful. You thought this guy has got something here with these lyrics. This is this is somewhat really unique here, somewhat really special. You know, when you go back to Morrissey and stuff like that, and I love the whole steady. Scott was a big whole steady fan as well. And when it comes to lyrics, I think he was he was top draw. He was dealing with the big boys when it came to lyrics. I really think he was. It's a recurring theme that people keep on raising on this chats that. You can't get away from how he just seemed to be able to laser focus in on an idea, pull it apart and say it in a way that I don't think anyone has said it like that before. And it does feel like that's what's drawn the fan base in, that they've seen something in themselves. Because we've all we've all had our, you know, we've all lost love and all that kind of stuff, haven't we? And that's but just there's a bit in backwards walk, and then there's one about my head was snapped back out of air. He talks about and and it's it, 
the oxygen wants to feed my starving brain. And it's just that moment where a girl goes, I don't want to be with you anymore. Sorry, you're going to have to go. And you just, you know, you're just absolutely, it's so hard to describe that, isn't it? Where you're just devastated and you can't even speak and you're like, but, and the way he talked about that was, it's poetry, pure poetry, isn't it? And it's almost Shakespearean, really, some of it, when you look at it. Some bearded bloke from Selkirk basically doing Shakespearean indie music. <laughs> it's mad, really. Definitely did seem to set itself apart from contemporaries at the time, which was drifting yeah. a bit towards landfill India. Yes. Yeah, and that, that's the funny thing. My mate Howard, who I was sat with that day, used to talk about indie landfill. It's just another indie landfill band, you know, and there's millions of them, in there? Um, and I think some of my bands I've been in the past were probably there as well. I remember saying to Scott once, I was saying, look, you know, you're not playing arenas and all that kind of thing, you know, and you're not Coldplay, you're not you 2 and that's a shame. I said, but there's only so many bands that come along that are they're proper special, Scott. You know, you've got your Smiths, you've got your Hold Steadies, you've got the Roses, these bands that proper mean something to people. And some of them become massive and some of them don't. And Frightened Rabbit didn't. But I said, you, you're in a special band, man. This is a special band. And you need to remember that when you're struggling, when you're down, away, you know, maybe you haven't sold as many records as you thought you might. You've got to remember that this is a special band and there's, you know, a lot of special bands never made it massive, did they? You know, and I think Frat and Rabbit were one of them. They made it to what I'd consider that comfortable level of, yeah, they, they probably could have carried on doing it forever, but maybe not, yeah. as you say, stepped up beyond your academy shows to your arena shows which is no. an interesting place to be as a band. But I do think maybe as soon as you're hitting that arena level, you know you're then becoming a packaged product that you have to confine yourself to a certain set of parameters that perhaps Scott wouldn't have been in any way comfortable with. Yeah, I never had that. Com- did, did he want that or not? I don't know. But you, I went to see the war on drugs a couple of months back at, at Leeds Arena. And I, I'm not really a massive fan. I got a free ticket, so I went along for a night out kind of thing. But I was really surprised a band like that was playing arenas because they're kind of, you know, a bit different. They're not normal. Their songs are all eight minutes long and they're not massively commercial, I don't think. And I did remember sitting there thinking, hey, they're not as good at Frightened Rabbit. And <laughs> because why, are, why? So if these are playing Leeds Arena, why weren't Frightened Rabbit playing arenas? I, you know, it, is, it could have been possible, maybe. I don't know. But for whatever reason, it never really happened, did it? Those will never know on that front. You nope. mentioned catching him live, and I think that's a great segue into, do you have a favourite time you caught him live? Yeah, well, I saw them at Leeds Cockpit once. I think that was the first time I saw him. It might have been the second or something. I can't remember. But that was a bit special because he did poke with no amplification at all. So he came forward in front of the mics. Un- he was on acoustic, unplugged acoustic, and he sort of tried to, you know, get everybody quiet, and he sang it. That was pretty special. And I've seen other people do that since, but I'd never seen that before. And that was one of them things like, right, this is why you come to gigs. This is why listening at home isn't. And then another time, he dedicated a song to my sister. That's how I became pals with Scott. I'm so glad that Leeds Cockpit got a mention. Leeds Cockpit was my home from probably age 15 to as soon as it went. And I wrote the obituary. 
here lies the greatest music venue that ever was. <laughs> we'll never find another one like it. Well, the Brudenell has filled that gap because I'm pretty sure the Brudenell wasn't a music venue when the cockpit was really flying. They did a couple um, of bits, but... But it was wonderful, the cockpit. And we used to go to Brighton Beach as well, which was like the kind of, in the Britpop years. And there'd be, a, you know, there'd be a Britpop disco and then like cast would be on for an hour and then the, and then you'd carry on with the sort of indie night till two in the morning. It was just, it was just ace. And apparently it shut down. Something was really boring, like the pipes couldn't be repaired or something. Something really un-rock and roll and practical. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The dispute was between the landlords who owned the building, which is Network Rail. They were arguing that all the electrics, the pipe and the structures were being damaged by the loud music. And the cockpit were arguing, no, it's because you're running 20 trains an hour over our heads every single yeah. night. Of course, you're going to need to repair a railway bridge once every so often. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Network Rail weren't having any of it and told them pay up or get out. So what a shame, and, eh? I know, and they rubbed all the stuff off the walls on the outside that people used to write stuff when they were queuing, didn't they? Yeah. And it I, became like a, a lovely little mural of, you know, memories of people, didn't it? It was lovely. There's only one real drawback, which was I was at a show. I should stress not to see the band I'm about to mention, but there, I was at a show and Johnny Burrell from Razorlight signed his name on the wall uh, without really? being invited to. And <laughs> he, he signed it on the same brick over the top of some much better musicians. And I was particularly peeved that he'd done that. Well, I, one of my mates went in a band called, oh God, Dogs. They were called Dogs. We played with Dogs. And they got signed to, I don't know, CBS. And they went on tour with Johnny Burrell. And my mate said he's as big a knobhead as you would possibly imagine him to be. <laughs> I, having met him a couple of times, I could care. Right, right. I've never met him. Yeah. But, yeah, they, he said he was just, he, yeah. But anyway. it, to drag it back to an almost Frightened Rabbit reference or the interconnected music scene, well, the time that I saw Johnny Burrell outside the cockpit, I think it was uh, Andy Burroughs, his drummer's first gig right. with Razorlight. And he literally jumped off a train. And I mean, physically jumped off a train in Brighton to get to this gig in Leeds because he got a call saying, hey, look, we're looking for a drummer tonight. Can you come and right, right. known he was a session musician? And he turned up, he'd like sprained his ankle. So obviously kick was quite hard. Played anyway. And he, he was like, I don't know if I'm not going to sign any CDs or anything because I don't know if I'm going to get this gig. So I don't want to ruin someone's you know merchandise, whatever. And I just got chatting to him because I didn't want to chat to Johnny Burrell. I was like, you're a really great man. They should definitely give you the gig. But I don't know if I'd stick around to be in this band very long. <laughs> <laughs> Insert 20 years later and he's still the drummer. But obviously, yes. he's had better times as well because he made that album with uh, with the guys from Editors. And obviously- oh, that was a beautiful album. When the Thames froze is yeah. literally... Maybe after, you know, I don't know, Fairy Tale of New York, the best Christmas song in the past 30 years for me. What a tune yeah. that is. The listeners to this are going to be furious that you're saying that over Scott's three or four Christmas songs. All of his are magic, but I do think there is a special place in my heart for that album. That yeah, it's awesome. it's stunning. It's, um, you never, you know, you thought, these two, what? These two yeah. are going to do an album together. What? That, what was that? That's not going to work. And it, yeah, it's a weird chemistry thing, isn't it? I don't know. He ended up in Ricky Gervais's band, didn't he? And all sorts. I would see my little tiny claim to fame. Like I would, say I was on holiday in America, and I got a phone call. My mate, my American mate's mum comes in and goes, "Andy, there's John on the phone." And I thought it was my dad. My dad's called John. And she went, "John Squire says he's a guitarist or something." And I'm like, "What?" It's you know. So it's my mate, my other mate, John, taking piss, obviously. 
And so I answered the phone, go, all right, John, how are you doing? You know, my mate John. Hey, hi, it's John Squire. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. John, can we just, you know, it's, this call will be expensive. Should we just crack on? And he went, no, it's John Squire. I'm, I'm going to put you on to Martin, my guitar technician. And it was John Squire. And I was, and he was asking me to come for an audition for the Seahorses because he wanted a drummer who drummed a little bit like Rennie, which I did because Rennie was my hero and I nicked every drum fill I ever heard of him. And I did backing vocals as well, still do. So they said, as soon as you land, we're forming this band, the Seahorses, we've got everybody but they wanted to come for an audition in York. But I had another three or four weeks of my holiday. So by the time I got home, too late, they got somebody. Sliding doors moments, I think they call them, don't they? I was just about to say, yeah, it feels like a proper sliding doors moment. Yeah. And maybe a great way to segue back into what you're doing instead of being a founding member of Seahorses then. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I've accidentally become a street artist. Like, because when Grace died, I, I remember um, there's lots of graffiti around where I live and these electricity boxes are all covered in graffiti. And I painted one for Grace and, and it was when she was dying, especially, it really did my head in. You're waiting, you know, you're waiting for a child to die. It's horrible for six months. With the, the, you know, the doctor said she's got six months. So that was obviously a very difficult time. And it, it really helped me, you know, talk about Scott and his mental health and his lyrics. For whatever reason, never done any art before. It just, you know, took me off somewhere. Um, like drumming does, like when you do a gig, you don't think about anything else, do you? And I thought, oh, that was really therapeutic. So I did, and then I started doing Leeds United ones because I'm a big Leeds United fan. I've gone down to the match and you see all the boxes and you think, I could do like a pathway of boxes here, you know. And I used to be a primary school teacher, so I thought, you know, I could do old, badges and the kids would be like you know what when was that badge dad and who's that player and da-da-da. so it started to take off and I became yeah this accidental artist and I'm still not sure how it's happened and I still can't really draw so I don't know how I'm blagging it really but uh... <laughs> I've seen them in the flesh all over Leeds Burley as well Headingley Beeston and kept on seeing them and I was like wow, those are really cool pieces they've just got like a professional a full-on team of people doing this all the time it's, <laughs> it's really is that what you said? yeah I thought <laughs> you know this has got to be a really dedicated thing and then I saw a Scott one and it must have been not long after he died so I'm assuming it was probably the first one you put up of the Be Kind logo I think wasn't it with stuff around it and it just kind of stopped me in my tracks being a massive Frightened Rabbit Master System Al John everything fan yeah and seeing that in a place leads not necessarily an obvious Scott connection. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In Glasgow, maybe I'd have seen it and double-taked, but then been like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. To see it in Leeds, and then I just had to know who'd done it, <laughs> why they'd done it, what the significance was. And it's amazing because I had this intention to reach out and ask questions. And then I started seeing people posting about it on different Facebook groups and a Reddit group and eventually led me down the rabbit hole of a website. Right, right. And then keeping track of some news articles. I seem to remember back in the day, there was threats that you'd give it up, given some of them were graffitied over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I redid the Tiny Changes one just the other week, and it's already been tagged. And I, you know, I made it really obvious this time that this was for Scott, but the dates of his birth and his death. So it was very obviously a sort of memorial and some twat still come and tagged it with something but i will repair it i'm determined to keep repairing it and i've got some anti-graffiti paint but it's interesting you say that because you know when i was doing like i did an i, I need company i need human heat one and i thought 
there might be like you know two people have any clue what the hell this is but i kind of liked that anyway and obviously you were one of them weren't you i think you're vastly underestimating with the two because i mentioned this podcast to a couple of friends one of them's a guy called danny payne who's a photographer who i think right kind of knows you through other sources and kind of probably chatted with you a couple of times yeah i recognize that name yeah and he said oh you should speak to andy and i was like andy and he was like burley banksy and i was like burley banksy and he was like come on the painted electricity boxes broadband <laughs> boxes telephone boxes all over the place and i was like that's named to the face that was probably the first moment that actually clicked that oh she's just one guy doing this yeah. <laughs> a team yeah i mean that yeah that sounds funny actually yeah i genuinely thought the leeds united ones were either the club paying for it or sponsoring it i still don't get paid for the street boxes no i do work for leeds united now i work for leeds united foundation so i go into primary schools doing art workshops and some high schools as well and behavior schools especially schools and stuff which has been great and just yesterday i mean this is you know how surreal i was at, um, a staff do with all the players so i'm sat having some chips with patrick bamford at one point you know it's kind of you do think how oh, the hell has this happened because i painted a couple of boxes few of the players go oh, all right yeah Burley Banks man yeah how are we doing yeah I love your art man and they're like these are Legion United first team players telling <laughs> it was you know it was kind of weird great I would end up sat next to Bamford yesterday and I was trying to persuade him I was saying look mate you know you you seem to be really good lad and I've seen what you like with kids you know I'd love to do some work at Grace's Hospice where she died which is literally a few hundred yards from their training ground he plays guitar doesn't he as well you see so I said they've got a music room there they've got an art room I said I know it's crazy this, but how about me and you go in, do a little gig for the kids, me on drums. It was just, you know, a couple of songs, Wonderwall or whatever it is, kids playing along. Then we do a bit of art, you know, Patrick Bamford's shirt, number nine art thing with these kids. What do you reckon, man? And he was like, that sounds really good. Actually. So, yeah. And then we got interrupted by the Rabzriani did a speech, so I, we kind of lost the thread of it. But I've planted the seed <laughs> in his head. And hopefully it comes good. talked a bit about that first box that you painted what inspired you to at the time just pick up paint pick up brush and get painting it we'd had a little really boring community meeting around here you know where everyone argued about somebody's hedge was one inch too high and all that kind of stuff and um and me and my friend helen were just like the whole place is covered in these horrible boxes with f words on them and and horrible stuff and it let's paint over them so we thought about doing that, but it was Grace dying, really. I wanted, my sister was terrified, you know, because Grace had only been here for 10, 11 months. She was like, everyone's going to forget she existed. They'll, they'll just forget she existed on this planet. And I thought, God, that's so upsetting, you know, and I've got a son. And I, she was born at home just off Kirkstall Road. So I thought, right, I'm going to paint a box of Grace, bright pink, on Kirkstall Road, because there'll be like 20,000 people will see that every single day. So they're not bloody going to bloody forget her, our kid at all. And it'll make you smile or lift you a minuscule bit when you have to drive past it to go on, you know, and you'll see that Grace is sort of there for you kind of thing. So that's why I did it. And and I sent it to Scott 
And he sent back a message. It was just lovely. He just went, oh, Andy, man, this is beautiful. Is this per-? I remember him saying, is this permanent? I, was, I don't know why I remember that. And I went, well, yeah, it's, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to be washed off. And he went, oh, mate, that's beautiful. And one of my regrets with this, that this art thing sort of, I suppose, without taking off a little bit for me, I suppose, was, you know, when you see people and they've, I don't know, they've won the FA Cup or something and they say, I wish my dad was here to see this or whatever, or they've done something really good in sport or whatever, and they've won a gold medal at the Olympics and I wish my mum was here. She died two years ago. And it sounds a bit daft, but I just wish so much that Scott would have seen how this, how this art has gone. And I wish you'd have seen me bigger frightened rabbit boxes that I did and, you know, he didn't see them. You know, bloody hell, Andy, you've become an artist. How the hell has that happened? And I think he would have been so pleased for me, I think. And it would have been so lovely to share that with him. You know, it sounds a little bit cheesy, doesn't it? But I would have loved to have shared that progress with it all, with him, you know, and how it's developed and then working for me, beloved Leeds United and all that. And and he did things for Hearts, didn't he? And they play, I think they play one of the songs at the ground, don't they? And, I'd have just loved to have shared that with him. It would have been ace. And like when I said when we did that gig, what do I do? There's 3,000 people, you know, occasionally now I get people asking me for selfies and I go, Scott, what do you do when somebody wants a selfie with you? What do you do? Do you say yes? Do you say no? What do you do? Do you stand with your arm around them? What do you Because <laughs> I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and it would have been really funny. It would have been lovely just to share that with him, I think. And that, that is like the only regret I have of it all. You know, that it sounds daft, doesn't it? But just that one regret that I didn't get to share it with. Scott Hutchison, which is a bit of a shame, but there you go. How quickly after his passing did you think, well, now Scott has to have a box? Pretty soon, really. Pretty soon, yeah. And I think I did the Tiny Changes one pretty soon. I've done one uh, get-together now, Find Hope for Headingley as well, because that was sort of quite appropriate for the, the pandemic as well, wasn't it? And the art kept me sane in the pandemic. It was my, you know, hour of exercise, whatever you want to call it, in that first lockdown. and. And the art kept me sane personally. So, and I'm sure it kept him sane along the years. You know, I know obviously we lost him in the end, but I'm sure his art kept him going, you know, his actual drawing, you know, because obviously he was an artist as well as a musician, wasn't he? Absolutely. Um, And I'd love to have chatted with him about that, about how it helped him and how it helped me. And I still have dreams about him sometimes that we're in my van driving along and I'm doing backing vocals to all old fashioned and he's singing main part and stuff like that. And it's it's a great dream. It's like a recurring when it happens like once every other four months. I was at wake up really sad that it's not going to happen. If um, you've not listened to the first episode of the podcast with Francis Delario, he's a poet, worked on right. a couple of books with Scott where Scott did the illustrations. He pretty much described the same thing and he's written a poem about it that he keeps on having a recurring dream about Scott. Really? But- similar situation that they're just doing they're collaborating on something they're having a great night somewhere and in the dream he's like he gets sad in the dream because he knows he's gonna have to wake up at some point yeah really it's a dream beautifully described i recommend checking it out because i think you'll get a personal kick out of it that maybe us fans won't get such a big kick out of right i will i regret you know not sharing the art with him but the last time i saw him was a master system gig at the brunel um and um i think it was only a couple of weeks before he passed away maybe two three weeks I can't remember the exact date and he'd said to my friend I am I'm struggling at the moment because she's a therapist and they went out for a fag together on their own because I don't smoke and he, and she said he, he said I am thinking about therapy again at the moment um but we had a lovely night and had beers and we were chatting and they were playing Halifax Peace Hall I think and a few weeks after that and he was like 
come bring your sister. I remember saying, bring your sister. We'll all get get together after the gig backstage and we'll we'll get bring your sister and Rob and we'll all have a drink because I haven't seen his sister since that night where I dedicated the song to Grace. And then he told me he loved me. And that's, you know, that is one of the lovely things that I will always remember because I fucking love you, man. You're awesome. <laughs> he was pissed, obviously. Um, <laughs> he had a load of whiskey, whatever. Yeah, that was nice, you know. And I, you know, he told me he loved me. So, you know, I missed out on sharing the hat with him, but I've got that to kind of to keep myself warm. There we go. There's a, there's a pun for you. Absolutely lovely. We've talked enough about loss already, just in, you know, an hour of conversation. Yeah. That obviously you've lost other people and you know what it's like. And there is definitely solace to take in knowing that he didn't, he definitely didn't leave the world with a bunch of grudges out there with people. He told people how he felt. Um, yeah. And even his last words, albeit through the, to you, amazing. Yeah. And then those through the medium of, yeah. of Twitter were still heartbreakingly self-deprecating and appreciative yes. of those that he loved. I'm with you that you mentioned earlier, it felt like he had things that kept him going and that really, whilst we should all be sad that we've lost him and that he's not around anymore for to share things with and to make new memories with, I'm just so grateful that we got probably 10 years more than you might have expected out of someone who yeah. wrote a song yeah. so openly about yeah. you know, dealing with these subjects. Blowing in the fourth, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, you look back and you think it was always inevitable, sadly. It really was always inevitable that it was going to happen when somebody's suffering so much like that and as those, whatever it is, the chemical imbalance or whatever it is, you know, and I get through it with my fluoxetine and my Prozac, whatever the actual official name for it is, and some people it, it isn't enough, is it? Talk about leaving your mark on the world and, you know, making tiny changes to earth and all that, my God. Those songs will be loved forever. I mean, they really will, you know. People will cherish them for the rest of their lives. I will. And they'll get passed down, hopefully, you know. People will always struggle with mental health. I'd like to think people will always go to those albums to help them, you know, in, in decades to come kind of thing. Ultimately, that was the, the purpose of this podcast, a collected, curated history of people's memories of Scott. Yeah. The thing that I'm really enjoying about these chats is that I'm talking to people, some of whom knew him, some of whom just, you know, massively influenced by him. And either way, we're kind of, building up slowly but surely a little repository of really nice reflections on a human being and the impact that they made and with you he might have been thinking tiny changes but the more that gets added to it the more it feels like it's such a massive change now so much money has been raised for such a yeah, cause, yeah. or loads of worthy causes across kind of everything that he was interested in which hopefully gives us a lovely segue into Beyond painting murals, painting boxes, have you done anything else to commemorate, Scott? You got any tattoos hidden away? Or no, I haven't. No, I'm not a tattoo. But I did. He was. I've only ever thought about a tattoo. Well, probably three times when Leeds United won the league in 1992, and then I thought that's a bit. It's a bit cheesy, that isn't it. I'm not. I'm not that kind of bloke, really. When Grace died, and I thought I might just get a really subtle thing, and then I didn't. And then when Scott died, I know a lot of people had the, the cross thing. What is it called, that double cross thing, you know, the symbol? I don't know what it's called. A crucifix thing, isn't it? Yeah, I thought about it because I saw lots of other people then and I thought, no, I thought, I don't need that. I've got, got memories in my head, um, you know, and I'll do my little paintings for him. And I went and sat on his bench in Glasgow 
in the park in Kelvin Grove Park. I went and, and I had to, it took me hours to find the bloody thing. <laughs> Jesus, because it's about 5,000 benches there and they're all pretty much the same and the park's massive. And I went to that museum and I wandered around and, and then I found it and somebody was sat on it when I was there. And I was like, you probably don't even know who he is. Get off. There was a nice couple and they went and I just had a sat and I, I found myself having a little chat with him. Just after it. I just went, I'm here, pal. You all right? I wish I hadn't bloody done that, you know. I, I always regret that. I was going to text him the week that he died. Just going, I don't know how you have these little things. Then if you're ever struggling, look, you can just come stay with me for a week or whatever. Change the scenery, spare room. Don't think I was going to pest you in Edinburgh. And sometimes you just need that, don't you? Change the scenery. And if you ever need, just come up. And I didn't. I don't know, you wouldn't have changed anything. You wouldn't change anything, obviously. But yeah, I had a little chat with him on the bench. And it, it was quite nice. I'm, I'm glad I did it anyway. I would like to go when I was walking around Glasgow and that area. I thought I, I should come up in the van next time with all my paints and, and do something up here, really. So I think I will do that at some point. I don't know about you, if you've heard the Frank Turner song. A Wave Across the Bay. Yeah. And it was interesting that because I went to the bridge. We went up to Edinburgh Festival just after he died. And he was meant to do a thing with his poetry friend Holly. And obviously he couldn't do it because he passed away. And they, made, they turned it into a little tribute thing to him, like a celebration. And then my friend wanted to go to the fourth bridge. And I wasn't too sure. But we went and people had left lovely things, you know, on the floor and stuff. And I remember thinking, it did upset me a bit. I thought, my God, Scott, that is high. That is a high. I've never been at the fourth bridge. That is a high thing. And I didn't want to think about him hitting the water because I thought the reality, the gruesome reality of that is not pleasant. And so I just went, oh, I'm not going to think about that. And, and it's obviously affected Frank Turner in the same way, isn't it? Because that's what the song's about, isn't it? You know, he didn't hit the water. You just kept on going and it didn't hurt you and it didn't break anything. You just you just kept going. And I thought, what a song that is. I just thought it, it was so therapeutic listening to it. You know, it made me cry for the first time in a fair few years. And I found that really you know, good release. And I thought, what a tune. You've nailed that there, pal. What a beautiful way to... To describe your mate after that incident, I thought I was, I was just stunning. Oh. I, love, I love Frank Turner. I've always liked his stuff, um, especially the earlier stuff. Nice cockpit reference. I saw him in Million Dead at the cockpit in, oh, it must have been 2004. Can't wow. have been any later than that. That was his first band. He seemed like a great lad from then. So, And he was only young. That would have been 20. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, he's a big whole steady fan as well. Craig Finn's such a lovely guy as well, isn't he? So it's kind of a impossible to get out of that world of just nice musicians know each other and like each other stuff don't they yeah it's a lovely kind of self-appreciation of everybody isn't it and um and craig finn did a song on that tribute album to scott didn't he on the midnight organ fight tribute thing and um i was at the gig when they played the whole study played in my mate's front room um in leeds in adult must be five or six years ago now they were doing live at leeds that night and my mate's got his massive fan. He's got to know him over the years. And they played in his front room. And I took my drums up and bits of RPA for them to use. And I didn't drum with them. Massive regret. Yeah. I, I, I didn't have the bottle just to say, could we just do that? Because I know all the drum parts. Like, you know, perfect. I love that. Especially that old steady album, Boys and Girls in America. I, I just, and I said, could we, do you want to do um, Stuck Between Stations? Which is one of my favourite songs of all time. Um, and then I bottled it. And it was my drums, and I'm sure they'd just done it for two minutes. I could have said I played with the whole study, but I bottled it. What an idiot. What an idiot. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a next time. I don't know if they'll ever play my mates for room again. Lots <laughs> of things. But, uh, we go down to see them on these. They do these weekenders in London now, these three three gig weekenders in Camden. 
rather than do a tour of the country. So everyone goes to them kind of thing. So we go down for two or three nights and see them two or three nights. You know, it's great. But yeah, just go back to the Frank thing. I would love to do a wave across a bay kind of picture for Scott. I would love to do that with those kind of lyrics and I don't know, some kind of wave thing in the head and there'll be some Frank rabbit symbols in it somehow. Someone near the bridge? Yeah, yeah. It would be nice, wouldn't it? And it would be. Get Frank to sign it or something. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? I can yeah. do that, especially if he's on tour in the area. Yeah, yeah. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? When he first died, the thing that got me, he did a version of Modern Leopard, didn't he? He only died a few days before and Frank must have been on tour. I saw it on YouTube. And he, he sang it. So, I mean, he sang it terribly. But because he was so tears and almost like screaming it, wasn't he? Like the emotion in, in it. And it didn't matter that he was singing it terribly. And that was my, that's the first time I cried off Scott's death. That got, that, and it was really, again, it was really like a really good release. So I've got to thank Frank for that one day. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, keep your eyes out for that, Glasgow. And uh, hopefully, if you're around Leeds at any point, you'll see some Burley Banksy originals up, especially some of the Scott ones. Cheers for today, Andy. I could talk about Scott music all day. Take it easy. Cheers, Alex. was Andy McVeigh there, aka the Burley Banksy. Thanks again Andy for your time, and such a great chat. If you want to find out more about the Burley Banksy, head over to burleybanksy.com where you can check out all of Andy's artwork that he's pictured, along with a lot of the Scott stuff that we've talked about. Thanks as always to Fran Atkinson for help with curating and editing the podcast. Thanks to Jane Coates for help with the socials. Thanks to Civil Service for doing us the musical stings that you're hearing under this speech right now. And, of course, thank you, dear listener, for listening. We're heading towards the end of Series 1 of the podcast, so if you've got any ideas of who we should chat to in Series 2, please get in touch with us via the socials or via thescottpod.com. Check out the website for information all about the podcast. You can email any kind of listener submission through to thescottpod at gmail.com and finally for this episode we heard from Andy that his favourite Frightened Rabbit song was Head Rolls Off which this episode comes to us from Greg Henderson from the band Sutmungo spelt S-T-M-U-N-G-O you can find out more about Sutmungo and hear the music via Facebook Instagram TikTok all the usual socials at Sutmungo and Sutmungo HQ They've also got a new single coming out on the 3rd of November and there's a launch gig in Paisley in Scotland so if you're up around there and you're a frabbit why not go and check out a fellow frabbit playing live. It's St Mungo's cover of Head Rolls Off. Hi guys, sorry for the delay in this video we're getting to but um, I'll record it as quickly as I can. Cheers. Jesus